Welcome to the Brave Feminine Leadership Podcast, where we share stories from amazing leaders just like you and me. We break down myths of leadership, imposter syndrome, and we ask what brave feminine leadership means and does it need to change? All of these interviews were originally recorded in video format. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Brave Feminine Leadership for news on when new video series will be dropping. It's wonderful to meet you. Drop me a note if the content resonates. Melissa at bravefeminineleadership.com. Let's get brave. Hello, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome David Thodey to the conversation on Brave Feminine Leadership. David, fabulous to have you here. Oh, look, thanks, Melissa. Really uh, my pleasure to be here. Before we kick into our conversation, David, I might just take a minute to run through a, bit, a brief sort of bio um, for you. So um, for our audience, David's a business leader who's focused on innovation, technology and telecommunications with more than 40 years experience. He's currently chairman of Australia's National Scientific Research Agency, CSIRO, Tyro, Australia's largest independent FPOS banking institution, and Xero, a cloud-based accounting software provider for small and medium-sized businesses. David is also a non-executive board director of Ramsey Health and is very active in public policy and recently led an independent review of the Australian Public Service. We'll save that conversation for another day, David. Uh, prior to his non-executive career, David had a successful career as CEO of Telstra and prior to that, CEO of IBM Australia and New Zealand. In 2010, David was one of eight founding leaders for the Champions of Change, which was launched by Elizabeth Broderick in her role as Sex Discrimination Commissioner to address gender inequality. In 2017, David was made an officer in the General Division of the Order of Australia for Ethical Business Leadership. Fabulous to have you on board. Can't wait to have your voice. After that, I feel old after all that. <laughs> anyway, not, no, it really is great to be here. Not the intent, but uh, you've, you've packed a bit in, David, so uh, I had to do some justice to it along the way. David, um, I am going to ask you in a minute to um, share a little bit more about yourself and, and sort of why you are who you are, I mm. guess. But before I do that, I guess um, it would be remiss of me not to say that I am I'm really looking forward to our conversation around diversity and culture. Yep. And I pull out culture in particular because of my own personal experience. Um, in my role as CEO, um, we had a, a very long-term, strong relationship with Telstra and you were one of our key customers for many years. That's right, years. I remember, yep. Mm. And what that provided for me was a front row seat, if you like, to the very tangible and real impact that I saw you have on both the, the customers and also the employees, but more broadly, the whole ecosystem in terms of working with Telstra. So mm. I just wanted to call that out and acknowledge that, that yeah, it, was, it really was extraordinary to mm. be part of at the time. And I'm very intrigued as to who the person is behind uh, behind some of that. So, David, over to you. Um, mm. Why why are you who you are? Oh, that's a that's a good question to start with. Um, no, I, I think that you know I I do have a strong set of of values. Uh, you know, I have a a view around the pursuit of truth and excellence and and being really honest about where you are as an organization. And I suppose that the term that's often used is authenticity, but though, I mean, sometimes that is a bit of a catch-all. I mean, I just have always wanted to improve whatever I've worked at and to do that in a way that really did deliver, you know, real outcomes that hopefully we're not just flavor of the month, but had a longer term impact. And I think no matter what I did, you know, right through, you know, school and university, I think that really drove me to want to make a difference. And I've always found it difficult to do things um, for, for what I perceived as maybe more fleeting value, you know, like wealth or um, looking good because unless I felt 
a deep commitment to something that I could see really could be, you know, have a, a positive impact, I tended to, to move away from that. So that's always been really at the, the heart of what who I am. And, you know, haven't always been successful, Melissa, I just quickly say, but that has always been very, very much about who I am. Fantastic. So I'm going to kick straight into the diversity space. And I'm just going right. to ask you, David, you know, there's, we're still having a conversation around gender diversity. It's such a broad mm. area, diversity. And, yeah. you know, my focus in these conversations is, is broadly associated with gender diversity. But mm. I'd love to hear your perspective. What's the question we should all be asking about diversity? Oh, gee, yeah, and we've been asking it for a long time, the sort of generic question, Melissa. Um, well, again, for me, probably relates to the first um, answer I gave you. I mean, diversity to me, I really put to the side, it's more about a recognition of the value of another individual, uh, about how we treat each other irrespective of gender, race, creed, religion. And, and I think that's probably more important than the gender diversity question because it's how we turn up, how we engage, how we discuss, how we recognize, how we appreciate, how we celebrate. And, and often I think it's more helpful to talk about how we create a climate of inclusion rather than exclusion, because diversity appreciation is when people feel excluded or that one group has a, you know, a benefit or something that is not made available to everyone. So I think that's always been a part of who I am, and that would come from my family and uh, the people I've, you know, lived with. But also in a business context, I mean, I, as you mentioned in the intro, I joined IBM in what the late 70s and remember there was all this diversity coming out of the United States and, and to their great credit, IBM was very early on in recognizing the importance of diversity, both gender, but also in terms of ethnicity. Yes. But they took it from a, you know, a commitment to a value or a view ethical position to how they implemented it within a large, complex, multinational. And, and you know, that's difficult because they're working across many different cultures. You know, they're working in Japan, which we all know is a very male-dominated uh, society, um, you know, working across the Middle East. And so they had to take it from, you know, a an ethical position about how they wanted to do business to actually implementing it within a complex organization across many cultures. Mm -hmm. And and I uh, I think they did a very good job in those, you know, right through the 80s and 90s, where they, they had positive discrimination. They tried to step into where there was real bias and where there was you know, real disadvantage created and tried to sort of drive that through into, into a programmatic outcome. And, and, and programmatic outcomes are important, but of course they, they're just a program. And unless you change what's inside people, mm. they can you know, just be a little bit of a flash in the pan. I mean, I can remember the time when the answer was unisex toilets. I mean, well, I just, you know, I mean, quite honestly, it's just so superficial and so, yeah you know, really um, not addressing the fundamental issue of what, how people treat each other. So I go to a far greater ideal about, about how we create a world and, and a, or a business or a community that really does celebrate and includes everybody with, with a diversity of thought and thinking. Uh, I mean, obviously you need certain standards by which you do that, mm -hmm. but that's what I has always driven me in terms of the culture or the environment in which I have sought to work. And so companies like IBM try to do it within big organization structure as have many other great companies around the world and in Australia and in our local communities. Okay. 
So I wanted to um, really focus on two things that I actually found that I think you were addressing the Queensland University of Technology at the time. And I think it, right. was, it was 2015. Right. You were talking about the hardest things we've ever done. So I think you were retiring at the time, probably from mm. Oxford. Does that sound about the right uh, time? It does. Yes, yes. Yeah, and there the right were two time. things that you said um, that I think will be really interesting as part of our discussion. One was culture beats strategy every time. Yeah. And I really want to talk about your perspective on culture very broadly and um, mm. You know, you shared with me um, some ideas of some organisations that have got very strong, very good, very diverse cultures. Yep. I'd love to hear about that. And the other yep. one was that it was the end of the so-called command and control uh, leadership, that there was a new sort of leadership paradigm, authentic leadership. Mm. I want to explore that. We're some years on from that conversation now, and I really want to explore that as well and start to ask you questions around for people wanting to improve their own leadership, how should they think about that? So if we can start with the culture and what you would call out as the hallmarks, if you like, of the sort of culture, you know, what, is, what does a culture feel like that mm. provides that inclusive sort of style that you're referring to? Right. Well, yeah, that's a, I, I do remember that presentation, actually. Um, and, and uh, you know, it's become quite a common term, you know, culture, beat strategy. Um, let, me, let me try and give you some context to it, Melissa, because it's um, it actually goes deeper than sometimes I worry about the react today about, you know, people redefining values and, and, and which are all important, but um, I think it goes a lot deeper. So let, let me try to use Telstra as an example. Um, to it. So Tel, Telstra has always had a great set of values. I mean, I can remember, you know, we had service, trust, respect, integrity, commitment. And I think the, the second, the last one was teamwork. Um, and, and these had served as well. They're really good values. Um, but somehow they had become, you know, on the poster, they were, they were believed in, but they didn't actually drive our behavior. And then, of course, what would happen, we'd have these values, and then we'd have this rule book. You know, and remember, TELS was a regulated entity, so we had a large number of people looking over our shoulder determining how we should behave and and then we were very good at uh, documenting, you know, this um, basically uh, how we should behave in any situation. And of course, they weren't aligned. I mean, because one was very prescriptive, follow the follow the rule book, and on the other side, they're saying, well, no, we really want you to adhere to these values. And and I remember looking at that and and determining that. Really, you can never write a rule book about how people should behave. I mean, uh, here I am sitting in an office in, in Sydney and, you know, I didn't see, I mean, what, we had 40,000 people. I couldn't be uh, in front of them all the time. Um, and and you ne we needed a, a set of rule, you know, principles and values that allow people to make decisions within a certain framework so that we weren't having to write the book about it, but letting enabling them. And I think probably the other thing that it comes from is I fundamentally believe people, 90, you know, 98%, 99% time want to do the right thing. Absolutely. And, and yet somehow in large complex organizations, um, we put in these structures that, you know, always seek approval for what should be done. And it's like delegating the decision up the tree. You know, when I first became CEO, um, anyone in Telstra who wanted to go overseas used to have to get the CEO's approval. I mean, quite honestly, I had no idea at all about- One way to keep the sort of music. <laughs> exactly. In the days so, when we could travel. <laughs> there you go, exactly. Well, at least we could travel then, I suppose. but. So, I, you know, it, so as we talked about it as a senior team, it wasn't just me. Um, we said, no, look, we really need to 
change the environment to give people, you know, trust them, trust them, you know. And every time we get an employee engagement survey, you know, I think every organization in the world gets it, you know, hey, I really trust my immediate manager, but those senior people up there, you know, don't want to have much to do with them. Yep. So we wanted to try to invert this uh, behavior and actually recognize, you know, people and their innate worth and their value and how good they were. So we, we spent a lot of time looking at, um, you know, what those values could be. And we, so we changed them from those very good values of service, trust, respect, integrity to ones that um, were a little bit different. So one was trust each other to deliver. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't sound much when I say it now, but rather than this culture of follow-up or um, of rule-based, we said, no, David, I'm going to trust you to do what you said you're going to do. And and if you muck up, come and talk to me about it. But I'd start from a fundamental position of trust. Mm-hmm. So that was the first one. Um, we also had a, a new value that said, find your courage. Um, that we didn't want people who were just complying. We wanted people to step out and do what they believed was the right thing to do and not be confined by what the rule book said this. Um, we also, which was a very specific Telstra one, which was make the complex simple mm-hmm. because uh, we had a culture where we always said, well, it's really complex. You know, well, we, we know it's really complex, but great people go through complexity to simplicity. And in fact, great leaders make really complex issues really simple. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then we really said, look in the end for all of us in me as the ceo and every one of us the the final arbiter is the customer and so no matter what we do we weren't saying the customer was right every time but we said the final arbiter is the customer and that should drive our behavior uh, and i've realized as i look back that that was really quite significant not because customer centricity is implicitly right or wrong, it is right. But what it did, it actually created an arbiter that sat outside of us, of all of us. So it wasn't my opinion or someone else's opinion. It was an external standard that we all held ourselves to about creating brilliant product, the way we turned up every day, that every one of us could make a difference whether I was in treasury or I was doing... Um, you know, service, you know, frontline service or sales. It was every one of us about how we turned up. And and I think that that was what we meant by culture. So, yes, it was some words, but it was how we translated into behavior. And then we went through every policy inside Telstra to make sure that our policies reflected those values. And that was, you know, one of the big changes we made. I'll use the travel example because um, we we then changed our travel post. By the way, this was nothing new. We borrowed it from Netflix. We said, hey, from now on, um, anybody in the organization can go wherever they like. You don't need to get anyone's approval. Go for it. And uh, the only thing is that you'll be held accountable for the decision you make. Yep. I mean, that. Which just, I mean, I know it sounds simple, but it's actually, you know, if I want to go to a conference in Singapore, as soon as I get the approval from my boss, well, I'm sort of, I'm free from the responsibility of the decision. I, you know, off I go, I do my conference, come back. Whereas if it's my decision and I have to justify it, completely different attitude. And, uh, and, and there were many examples like that. So this is about, you know, enabling people to be, take accountability, be responsible, recognizing them, celebrating them, holding a sort of separate standard. So it is, it is, it is subtle, but really significant in how, you know, you bring a group of people together all from different backgrounds, you know, diverse geographically, culturally, et cetera. And it brings you together in a way that uh, is difficult to do. 
And I think alignment is one of the most important things in an organization. Mm. Really hard to do. But if you can get alignment against a few simple things, it's amazing what you can do. So that's some of the things behind culture. And that's why um, we said that culture uh, was probably more important than strategy. This, of course, the strategy is important. Yes. But you get that culture right, it allows you to course correct a lot more effectively and quickly. Um, it allows you to drive ownership and people engage in a way that often is difficult to get. Uh, and it stops the sort of top-down, well, all wisdom is you know found in the CEO and the senior leadership team. And that's just not true. It's about how we all come together. So I hope that gives you a little bit of an insight. It does. Um, and I wondered if we might turn our minds to zero um, just yeah, briefly. Yeah. And yeah. you had shared with me um, how zero is is a very good representation in terms of diversity um, yeah. across the business. Yeah. What what does that what does that feel like? Does that feel different? Can you call out elements of that culture? Yeah, I, and it is a really interesting one. I, I've been at zero now for a couple of years, and so I mean just to get the statistics out, I think 70% of the senior leadership team is uh, are females. Um, I think of the extended senior leadership team, it's 55, 60%, and across the whole organization, it's probably 55% or thereabouts. Um, and it's interesting, because when I, because I, I sense a difference when I go, and there's a real, um, a real humanity, and I'll come back to that in the morning in a moment. Mm -hmm. There's a real recognition of we're there to make a difference, but we recognize the individual, and that's very strong. There's also a real challenging type of um, environment as well. So when I um, I actually asked the senior team about you know what are they think around diversity, it's really interesting. Not one of them said it was due to this diversity program, not one of them. Um, what they immediately talked about was what the company stood for and their values. And it was around their purpose, that they felt united in this purpose. Mm -hmm. uh, they talked around the um, that diversity is not a policy, but it's a way of life. Yes. Really interesting, isn't it? Yes. I mean, I don't think about diversity when I'm at home with my wife and my kids. I just it doesn't come in. I'm they are they are real people who I value and appreciate. So it wasn't about policy. And then they talked around these values that I've already mentioned. They have a value called hashtag human. And it's a and they and, and this is really important. They want your whole person to come to work, not just your business person. Um, and they want to see, and, and they talk about this all the time, about, you know, recognizing each other's humanity. Now, at the same time, they have a, this other um, value called hashtag challenges. They challenge each other all the time. It's, it's not, a, it's not a, in any way a passive environment. In fact, it's very engaging because if I say something, they'll say, even to me, you know, I happen to be cheered. They say, well, David, why do you say that? Mm. Uh, you know, and so there's just this culture, but they do it in a respectful way. And so, and they have a, this uh, you know, real commitment to meritocracy. So it's really interesting. They don't talk about diversity. Mm. They talk about who they are and what they stand for. And I think that's more at the heart of creating work environments or cultures or communities that really do excel. Because I think you get that right. Some of these manifestations, and I think gender bias is a manifestation of this deeper sense of lack of recognition of, uh, of people's wholeness and, um, and their lives. And, and, you know, I mean, for all of us, I mean, we've put work in a little bucket and, and yet 
you know, we talk about work-life balance and all those things. And more and more, and maybe COVID is a great example, is, I mean, as we started this conversation, you know, you were talking about the challenges of being in a COVID world. I mean, that's life. And it doesn't make, you know, your work contribution any less or not. If kids are, you know, doing homeschooling or the dogs bay, who cares? Um, but recognising that and then moving forward is really important, I think. Mm. So that's what, you know, we've found at zero. And look, it's not perfect. It's, um, you know, we get some things wrong. We have, you know, still don't have perfect behaviour and sometimes we don't hire the right people. But this underlying commitment to, to the humanness and the recognition of people and then helping them to be incredibly successful yeah. is what I think has really made a difference. All of those things you've just said and all of those, you know, we're not perfect and all those things, that is hashtag humanity though, isn't it? Well, it sure is. <laughs> it sure is. Yeah, that, for all of us, you know, yeah. we, um, yeah. Leadership yeah. is, um, you know, leadership is really challenging. And I know for many people in our audience, you know, they're considering um, a whole range of things. You know, some of them are considering how do they be better leaders? Some of them are working out, do my values still match this organisation that I'm at? Should I, you know, think about moving on and finding somewhere else? Yeah. Just would love to ask in the first instance, for people who are focused on improving their own leadership, you know, what, mm. what advice would you have kind of, you know, top three questions they should ask themselves. Hmm. Yeah. Um, look, I'm not sure I'll give you the, you know, um, the perfect answer here, but um, look, I, I do think great leaders um, have this great self-awareness. Um, I mean, you, you asked the question the way about the alignment of your values to organization really important um, but it's got to start it's got to start inside you you've got to know what you stand for mm. and and I think a lot of us and I would include myself don't spend enough time um, reflecting on what 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 really gives us energy what we find difficult what we find easier and and I, you know, I mean, many leadership programs we all go on over out the years where you get feedback, et cetera, some better than others. Um, but I think they're really important because when you know what drives and motivates you, when you ask, you started this interview asking me about what drives me. And uh, man, it's a very good place to start. So you've got to be aware of that and then move from there. Um, and and I do and I, I think the biggest derailer for future leaders or leaders of today is a lack of self awareness and uh, because I, I mean I've known wonderful people and you know who have never quite realised their ultimate potential because there's been you know this lack of awareness of how they impacted others or they didn't get the right people around them mm. so I'd really start there that'd be the first one. The second one is um, in, in, in knowing what drives you, then being clear about what it is that you want to achieve. Now, and that goes back to this purpose-driven, you know, what, what, really, what really gives you value? Not, and, you know, I mean, climbing up an organizational structure, it may, so I all credit to you, but it's really the why do you want to do that? You know, why do you want to be a leader? Why do you want to be a manager? And being really honest with yourself about what is the driver and then determining, you know, the cost of doing that because, you know, you know being a leader, I mean, look at, look at the premiers of the States at the moment. Think about how many hours they're spending every day. You know, they're not with their family, they're doing things. It takes incredible discipline and resilience and a commitment. Uh, so really assess that and and determine if that's something you're willing to step into because uh, that's what great leaders do. And so when I, I, you know, often I look at the qualities of leadership and 
you know, as I look at, um, you know, the millennials versus Gen X, Gen Y, has the fundamental traits of leadership changed? And look, I know they manifest themselves differently, but I don't think they do. Mm. Um, I think that, you know, you know, great leaders, you know, with all their their strengths and their failings, have this self awareness, but they're driven by this bigger aspiration to achieve something, and then they give so much to it. And so I think that are the three things I would reflect on um now look do you need to be good at what you do yes do you need to you know have strategic insight all the different things but yeah. i think those things are really what drive uh, great leaders in the end i think they take you to a certain level and then then it's all the mm. other stuff that becomes i think more important on your journey yeah i think that's right yeah i think that's right and you know because there's i mean all of us in our leadership journey there's times that are really testing and trying and you know it sort of throws you on back to what you stand for and be able to weather those difficult times um is really what is you know you go back to what you're standing for to get get through that and uh you know i can remember you know i became ceo of telstra um and you know it was a very difficult time you know, wasn't the most popular job in Australia at the time. Um, not many people, you know, really admired Telstra as a company. Um, and I can remember some people saying, you know, why did you ever accept that job? <laughs> and uh, the first year was not easy. You know, no, you know, I didn't get rung up by journalists wanting to do an interview or they didn't invite me out to lunch, Melissa, you know. Yeah, so and I go to Canberra and they didn't want to talk to us either um, because you know, it was a company that I think was arrogant. It, it, it was not delivering good service. It would, um, it had just started to lose its way. And then, then a big sort of change in policy. Um, we had to really go back to what we stood for. Uh, I can remember in the first month, we, um, we we had made a decision or a decision had been made prior to me becoming CEO to um, start to charge for every bill. Right. We we're going to charge, you know, $2 for every bill. And, um, and, you know, which was, you know, this intent, you know, move electronic. and But, you know, with a customer base like, you know, Telstra, you know, with, <laughs> many people still going to the Australian post office to pay the bill and but the company was really committed to doing it and I can remember sitting in a meeting and we sort of went around the room and everyone said well should we do it no everyone was struggling with it and uh and they say everyone said well look we've got this far we might as well do it sort of thing and I just couldn't make myself say yes so we ended up pulling it and it's sort of those moments of truth that um where you, you're trying to be true to what you stand for and you go out on a limb. And, you know, I, and, and I think we probably missed our plan that year in that particular part of the business, but it was the right thing to do. So it's that sort of thing that really makes a difference. Are you a risk taker, Dave? Um, I think I'm a calculator risk taker. I mean, risk is a part of business and a part of life. Um, we all do risky things, don't we, you know? Having children's risky, you know, <laughs> having um, you know, going out driving on the streets are risky. So yeah, I think I am. I but I but like all of us, I think around you know, how you manage risk and how you mitigate the risk. And um, and risk is different to betting, you know. Um, but even betting has a certain amount of risk which you can calculate. So yeah, I think risk is uh, is really important, and risk and the greater the risk, the greater the reward. Often, so I think it's important we know we are risk takers, but you, but also at the same time think about the implications and being calculating in that risk. Um, starting up a new company is risky, but and you know it's because what I think within. Um, first two to three years, something like 50% of all businesses fail. So is that risk you're willing to take? So yeah, I think I actually. 
David, um, I just want to touch on, you know, when we think about broadly diversity statistics, mm. you know, the United Nations report, and this is, this is from 2019, but it kind of talks about 28% of manager positions globally occupied by women, and it's the same largely as the figures were in 1995. Yeah, Jane. Mm. You were... Um, uh, you know, wonderful to to step up when Elizabeth um, Broderick made the call around what was then called the sort of male champions of change. Today, the champions of change. What, yeah. um, you know, just reflecting on that and reflecting on still not seeing that needle kind of shift. Do you have any thoughts on that at all? Right. I, I wish I knew the answer. Um, well, firstly, let me talk a bit about the, thankfully now called Champions of Change, no longer male Champions of Change. Yeah. Um, I can still remember Liz coming to see me uh, about it. By the way, if you know Liz, it's very hard to say no to Liz. Uh, <laughs> Is that why you laughed? <laughs> that's right. I did. She, she's a wonderful person and, you know, um, and really had such a great impact. She really is quite exceptional. But um, she came to me and said, look, um, I want to get a number of the male leaders together to talk around gender diversity. And the reason I want men there is that, you know, you're a big part of the problem and you're in positions of authority. And we and I wanted to create an environment where you can we can talk about that. And and while you know, I you know immediately had a concern around being only men. No, Liz was there. Let me quickly get. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, and it was an environment where there could be a an honest dialogue. Uh, because you know, every time I'd been in a meeting talking around diversity, it had always been about you know what you know, I'm putting in, you know, it was sort of very A-type behavior. Well, you know, I've got it, we're putting in childcare, you know, um, we're going to, we've got replacement tapes. So it was always about, I've got this program and we've got it licked, rather than a, a, a an honest discussion about, gee, this is really hard and we're not doing well. We, I'm doing something wrong because even when we've got great, you know, leaders, who happen to be women, they're opting out or they're mm. not coming through. What What are we doing? We're creating an environment that's not right. Mm. And uh, and it took probably a year before people would have that conversation uh, and actually talk out of vulnerability rather than having the answer. Mm. And that's what I worry about in a lot of these discussions is that people, as we mentioned before, is going to be a program. So um, so that's what the real value of the Champions of Change has been. And and look, we did share programs and, you know, because you do need to have things to, to remind you, you know, 50-50, if not, why not? You know, uh, Telstra put in all roles flex in 2010 because they, they are real things about creating flexibility in the workplace. But to come back to your question around why hasn't it moved over that period? You know, I, I, I really, it, it's hard to know. I don't know the basis of the data because, you know, when I, you know, go to Sweden or Norway, I see enormous change, you know I mean? And they've had very strong programs of, of just allowing, you know, women to come through into leadership roles. And, and by the way, you do sense it, you, you mean, uh, and, I think it's just getting away from even having a gender lens and just looking for capability mm. and what makes great leaders and letting them be leaders. And and I think just for too long, right across the world, we just have not been able to get to that place because you do need to have intervention. I, I remember going to Liz because um, about, I must say about 2012, 13, because our numbers weren't moving at Telstra. And I said, look, Liz, I can't stay on this male champion change. I'm meant to be some great, you know, leader 
changing the culture and our numbers aren't just working. Uh, and and she said, well, David, you know, that's even more reason for you to stay because we need to talk about why. And then, you know, interestingly, two years later, it was a lot better than numbers. But uh, I think it's having those discussions. And, and I think if I think around the world um, and why those numbers haven't really moved is that I think many women you know, opt out and say, look, I can go and do something better somewhere else. Why would I subject myself to this culture of, of self-promotion, of hierarchy, of whatever it is? I'll go and do something different. And they do mm. because um, there's no difference in capability. Mm. Um, and, know, and, so. you know, I have come across a lot just in the conversations I've had in the first series and also this one. Um, there is a lot of that. There is a lot of a certain point where there's a values mismatch and, yeah. and people opt yeah. out and create their own businesses and there, therein lies an opportunity for us to improve the amount of sort of funding available for, um, yeah. for female startups as well. But David, yeah. you raised um, vulnerability and thank you for being part of those conversations. And I think also thank mm. you for going back to Liz and saying, you know, I feel like I shouldn't I shouldn't yeah, be sitting here yeah, because I'm not yeah. delivering. It kind of goes yeah. back to that whole uh, humanity theme that we brought up yeah. earlier. But what I know that feeling vulnerable and feeling moments of self-doubt is not uniquely female. Sure isn't. <laughs> and I would just love to understand, you know, when, when have you felt um, particularly vulnerable and how did you move past that point? Mm. Well, I mean, I really agree with you. I think it's a, it's a trait of um, for all of us. You know, we get put into positions where we, you know, question our own ability and um, and feel vulnerable. Um, maybe it's through, you know, some some people have an ability to not really look at the truth and just sort of blunder through. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, I've been lots of times when I've felt, um, you know, you know, this is, it's all too complex. I didn't feel I had the skills to do it. Um, yeah, I think when I became CEO, even of IBM, um, suddenly you, you've worked with a group of people for, you know, 20 years and suddenly you're elevated and to be the leader. And um, with that goes a certain sense of, you know, what, you know, what you have to do and you're not really equipped for that. Um, same with when, you know, become put into leadership position at Telstra, you know, I mean, dealing with the markets, um, you know, having to work with the board and things like that. And, and things don't always go right. I remember um, at uh, Telstra the first year we had, Two profit warning warnings, and uh, and the market was not not impressed, um, and so at that moment, think, gee, you know, uh, maybe this is all too much. So how do you respond? Well, I, you know, it goes back again. You've got to go back to who you are and what you believe is the right thing, because if it's purely for self recognition, then yeah, well, miles ago somewhere else. So, but you know, each time you go back to, well, I fundamentally had a belief that Telstra could be a great company, in fact, a great global company. I and I felt for the people that I felt that they were not recognised for everything that they did, um, and and also that was deep within what I felt was right at the time, and that was what kept me going. Now. I was willing to say, hey, if I'm not the right person, grab somebody else, that's okay. Mm -hmm. So I was willing to be, you know, caught or, and also ask for help. You know, mm -hmm. I remember having a lot of conversations with Catherine um, and trying to be absolutely honest and say, well, are we missing something here? So being open about that, that questioning of yourself and then making the best decision possible. And then you've got to execute too. I mean, I, I mean, at the end of the day, you, know, you measure by an outcome. I mean, I, I make no apology for that. Um, you've got to deliver. 
Um, and so, and there's a certain time to do that. But along the way, you've got to keep testing: is this the right thing? Is it not? And inevitably, it comes back to yourself. But you've got to you've got to stand strong in who you are as an individual, uh, and then and then you know play out what you think is the right thing. If you're wrong, fine, move on. Yeah. I love the I love that you flag um, asking for help and for people in the audience not aware um, when you refer to Catherine, you refer to the chairman of Telstra at the time. Sorry, Catherine Livingston. Yes, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, and, yeah, um, sorry. Yeah, no, that's yeah. okay. It's just um, the you know the a lot of people do think that it's a sign of weakness to raise their hand and ask. Mm. Um, and I think it's the absolute opposite, but um, yeah. I think it'll be wonderful for our audience to understand that. So, David Thody, you've also suffered from imposter syndrome along the way, have you? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, I have. You know, you think, well, how am I, you know, why are they listening to me? I don't have anything. Great. But, but in there, I think there's a, you know, the, um, the ability to be yourself. Um, you know, with all our imperfections, but also we have strengths, you know. I mean, you have wonderful strengths, great communication of everything you're doing. Um, but, you know, we all have our, our challenges. And, but, but in that, celebrating that and, and having that freedom and not trying to be something you're not. And, um, and I think that great leaders have that ability uh, and there's a humility about them, yeah. and there's a caring about others as human beings. Um, that, that, that with that comes hard work and discipline, rigor, and all the rest of it. But but that's what really allows people. So yeah, I've suffered from you know bouts of you know well you know, not feeling comfortable. You know, yes. I mean I I mean there's nothing. But I love knowing everything about a topic I'm going to talk about do the research, but there's times I don't. And, um, and you know, you sort of feel, oh, gee, I'm not in a comfortable place. And so you just got to reflect on that and be honest about it, and, but then offer an opinion. So, yeah, that's just, that's sort of life. It's like, as I said, raising kids, you don't have all the answers all the time, but somehow they turn out okay, don't they? <laughs> well, I'm halfway through, so I'll let you know. <laughs> Sure, that'd be great. David, my, yeah. um, my final question for you um, yeah. this morning is, from your perspective, what does brave feminine leadership look like and do you, mm. think, it, do you think it needs to change? Right, brave feminine leadership. Well, I'll go back to the point I raised before. I think what leadership really... Um, irrespective of race, creed, gender, you know, has certain qualities. So I think the characteristics of leadership, you know, I mean, I talk around, you know, great leaders have great vision. You know, they have this humility of spirit somehow. You know, they have great self-awareness. Uh, usually they have great integrity. You know, they you know, usually have this great resilience commitment. There's something strong about them and discipline. And often have this sense of, man, I think those things are not gender specific at all. So I think great leadership is great leadership. I think, in terms of bravery, um, I think we all need to be courageous, you know, stepping into the uncomfortable position, you know, with all the vulnerability. Mm. And, but I do recognize that probably that women have had to do that more because of all the stereotype and gender bias. So I do think there is a sense of bravery and I would encourage you to have the self-confidence to step out and know that things don't need to be perfect. None of us are perfect, but give it a go. So mm -hmm. I think there's that element too. Is there differences in for women in their leadership style? Look, I... There's certain traits that we all have, and maybe there's some, you know, in, you know, one, but that becomes, you can very easily sort of start to stereotype, you know, that, you know, women are more, more, you know, caring and sucker, you know, you know, because of children than men. I'm, I'm not convinced that that's absolutely, absolutely true. Yeah. Um, 
So I think I, I would tend to try to move away from those stereotypes and say, let's celebrate great leadership and, and, and how people turn up as individuals. We do that, mm-hmm. then we will all be, it'll be a better society, a better community, a better business environment, and hopefully a better country. We do that, then we're getting the best out of people. We're helping them be successful. We're creating opportunity and we're not limiting people. And, and that's often what we do with all our you know, biases and you know, ways that we look at the world where we want to be more inclusive. So that's what I would say. Uh, maybe controversial question to finish on, but I want to ask you anyway. It's fresh off the back of watching Annabelle Crabbe's Misrepresented. Uh, right, yeah. I don't know whether you've yeah. had a chance to watch No, I haven't. Well, I've seen some of the uh, shorts on it. Yeah. Highly, yeah. highly recommend it. Um, yeah. And so yeah. my question's not directly related to that. It's just more inspired by it. Um, would you ever consider a career in politics, David? Um, probably, at the moment, I, I've been, I'm very interested in making a difference, but politics at the moment is too much about the media grab. It's too much around, you know, the short term look good rather than long term reform and change. And um, and there has been a very bad culture. I mean, to I haven't watched Annabelle's program, but look at the the shocking behaviour that has gone on. I mean, in that case, gender specific, but it's more than that. It's more than that, and it's created this sort of little bubble where there's this lack of real recognition of the role of politics and the role of the public service in making a difference. So no, but it, but I do want to contribute to the public debate mm. and good public policy because that creates a different, you know, a difference in a an environment for a nation. And aren't we, you know, blessed to live in a country like Australia with so much opportunity and such wonderful people. Yeah. Um, and and how do we help them be successful? How do we create an environment where individually and collectively we can make a difference uh, and create you know a high standard of living, good education, great health care, uh, and an environment where people are creative and innovative? That gets me going. But um, a political career, not at the moment, thank you. <laughs> David, it's been an absolute pleasure um, having the chance to have a conversation with you about this. Um, you know, thank you. Thank you for having been um, part of the dialogue and continuing to be part of the dialogue. Uh, you know, I was really impressed with, you know, through both series, how incredibly generous people have been and how incredibly yeah. willing people are to, to keep having this conversation. So thank you so, yeah. so much for that and uh, wish you a lovely day. Well, thank you, Melissa, and thank you for what you're doing because giving people an opportunity to talk around this just helps the topics. You know, some of them are hard, um, but you sort of do it in a wonderful way, and I wish you all the best in what you're doing. And Thank you. It's uh, been a pleasure. Hello there. If you're enjoying the podcast and would love to accelerate your own growth and leadership, then head to bravefeminineleadership.com forward slash brave tips for your gift from me, where I've captured all of the amazing tips and themes that came out of these conversations. I hope they help you feel your brave rising.